Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Put Cancer Behind You podcast, a series dedicated to helping cancer patients and survivors lead healthy, happy, cancer-free lives. I'm your host, Maria Barnes. My guest for this episode is Ramses Rodriguez, a panic attack coach, author, and founder of the Panic Freedom Academy in Alexandria, Virginia. Ramses, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thanks for having me. <laughs> oh, I'm thrilled that you're here. Now, listen, before we get into talking about what you do as a coach, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and your interests while growing up and basically how did panic begin in your life as well? Well, my background includes a story of a lot of panicking, <laughs> a lot of anxiety. I think as a kid, I was just an anxious kid in general. And I find that people who have intense anxiety later in life could always kind of remember upbringing. Maybe it was a little anxious. Maybe they had some kind of traumatic moments, even simple things like you were anxiously crying in your room or something. That was certainly me. I was that kid. (laughs) I was a lot more sensitive than all the other kids around. So when I went to school, I ended up going to college first as a musician, oddly enough, but then I went in, I wanted to pursue a career in in medicine. And so I became a geneticist and then went off into grad school studying developmental genetics and then started going into more genetics. And I actually studied cancer genetics. So I my first gig out of grad school was at the Roswell Park Cancer Institute in Buffalo, New York. And I was designing cancer diagnostic tests of all things. <laughs> so how ironic. Yeah, I, I, I was, that was funny. Cause like when you invited me to be on your show here and talk to your lovely people, I just got a kick out of it. Cause I was like, that's exactly what I used to do. I was around this whole world for a while, but throughout that whole career, this includes schooling, this includes my career as a geneticist. And I was also teaching at a local community college as well. I was having a lot of anxiety. And and I think this happens to people where, yes, they are anxious individuals, but there's these periods in your life um, where it's just more. And you end up having these really big physiological symptoms because of the anxiety. And one of those main physiological symptoms could be a panic attack, a full-blown panic attack, an anxiety attack. And that was certainly the case for me. I'd worked so hard at my career that now panic attacks were getting in the middle of that. It was affecting my work in the lab. It was affecting my relationships, to be honest, at home. This is friendship relationships. And also I lost some partners because of that. And the story goes on and on. You could imagine that panic attacks started to become super intrusive, right? And so I went on this journey to figuring out how I could solve this for myself because it was, I don't know how else to say it. It was such a pain in my butt. (laughs) There was such a pain in my butt. (laughs) Well, you have a very analytical mind. I mean, obviously, if you're working in genetics, you're able to analyze things very well. So what did you analyze to, to try and get back to the root of what causes panic attacks, how they affect people, and what you can do about them. What did you set out to do? It's true. I do have an analytical mind, and I I say that in the humblest of ways. The one thing I did know was that I could do research. That was the one thing I was talented at because I'd done it so long. And 
I remember having one of my worst episodes of panic attacks. My body started shaking. It was difficult to breathe. And I'd stumbled into the lab somehow. And this panic attack kind of started while I was driving, which is extremely scary. Anyhow, the Cancer Institute was attached to an ER that was next to the Buffalo General Hospital. And I stumble in there. And at some point, it got so bad that they just gave me Ativan and knocked me out in the ER. And so I was given four Xanax to be exact, four. And they said, this should hold you over to get to a psychiatrist. And I need you to get a psych eval and see what's going on. At the time, they weren't sure. They, they did rule out epilepsy, heart attack, and stroke. So they wanted to make sure those scary things were ruled out. But once we knew it was definitely anxiety and panic attack, I went to a psychiatrist to kind of see if I can get some support there, maybe medications, etc. So I remember going to her. And by the way, at the time I was seeking any kind of help. So I started, I don't know, meditating is what I was trying to figure out how to do at the time. I was like, I need to figure out how to get calmer. Sure. And so I told her I was dabbling with even meditations, maybe new age stuff. And by the way, tell me what flavor of crazy I am, because I think I'm losing my mind. And by the end of the interview, the intake interview with the psychiatrist, she said, hey, first of all, people don't come in here (laughs) saying, tell me I'm crazy because you already don't sound crazy. (laughs) But what I can tell you is that you are really anxious. And here's some Xanax, and I don't have a solution for you, but if you are trying some other things, maybe you try that. And I remember leaving pretty upset. I was like, oh, my God, how does science not have my back on this? Like, I'm a scientist. Like, And so I remember thinking how frustrated I was that even my psychiatrist couldn't. And by the way, I'd gone to many different kinds of therapies up to that point throughout my life. Uh, many counselors, therapists, etc. And they did some great things where they helped me get clear that I had anxiety, certain specific things that kind of cause anxiety, but I never really got a how to get rid of it. Like I'm very clear that I'm an anxious person, <laughs> but how do I actually right. oh, like diminish them significantly enough so that I was functional? Right. And so I was upset when I left the psychiatrist's office after that episode. And then I took a moment. I thought, what did she not say? Well, she didn't say I was wrong or that there wasn't a solution. What she said was she didn't have one. And I was thinking, interesting. What if there is some kind of solution? How could I find that out? Sure. And like you hinted at earlier, the one thing I was great at was research. So I put that to use. When I was on the Xanax, I had moments of like more calm and I just did a bunch of research. I looked high and low, Eastern and Western modalities. I even started doing certifications in like Reiki energy work just to kind of get a feel of what are other things. And my one focused goal was to look at anything that specifically affected anxiety. So There are a lot of modalities for different things that are holistic, but I really wanted to know what people use specifically for anxiety. And this included science stuff, medication stuff, healing modalities stuff, all the stuff that specifically address anxiety. And what I realized that if you have enough 
of these tools and modalities put in a certain order, you could actually create a system where you systematically decrease anxiety so much that the physiological responses diminish or stop. And that is how the panic seized was I put myself on that system, just those steps. And I got my anxiety so low that it stopped essentially causing the panic threshold to be crossed. And the panics went into what I call remission, panic remission. That's fantastic. Yeah, that's that's how it all came to be. Then I wrote a book on it. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. And you've actually written two books, but the first one is Stop Pressing Your Panic Button, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. In fact, that's how we met. So a lot of cancer survivors and patients experience panic. They also experience anxiety. When people have it, it's not all the time, but when you're going through the treatment, your panic attack is that you're going to die. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When you're through the treatment, your panic is that it's going to come back. Mm -hmm. So when you meet up with people like that, what's the first thing you want to say to them? What I always want to say to someone who's experiencing anxiety and panic attacks, including someone who has, I mean, a diagnosis is like intense, right? And having clients who have had diagnosis, not in cancer though, but like chronic lifelong back pain. I think you and I have talked off before about certain cases that I had like that. But the first thing I want to say is you're not wrong. It's scary. <laughs> I, I really yeah. want to take a moment to validate that because it, it can be very scary. There's so much uncertainty. Right. The next thing I like to do is get to a space where people know how to immediately decrease their physiological response. If you start to have symptoms of anxiety, there are many, and I'm going to give you some here. I did a self-reported survey about what people experience when they have anxiety and what symptoms they have when they have panic attacks. And I recorded about 48 individuals and there were over 50 physiological responses people reported having from intense anxiety. The top ones are shortness of breath, dizziness, sweatiness, shaky, racing heart, stomach issues like nausea, GI issues, and then psychologically, one of the sentences that always goes through your mind is, I feel like I'm going to die. That's a very, very common thing. Yeah. And there are many more. I mean, some of the more uncommon but pretty intense are people would actually have almost body dissociation. A person described it as having a out-of-body experience or sense of derealization. So the physical symptoms could get pretty scary. I always say, make sure you rule out the scary stuff. <laughs> actually see a doctor, actually see someone, make sure it's not stroke or heart attack or anything like seizures. But after that, and you know you're handling anxiety, that second thing I like to do is get clear on what we can do short term to make those symptoms slow down and calm down, right? And then finally, more long-term things like how do you actually address the thoughts that you're having? Because part of them feel really real and factual. And then some of them feel really, really intense as in like, I call it like mind drama. We can sense that our brain is like feeding catastrophic things at us at a really rapid rate. So really addressing, validating you short and long-term 
the solutions for someone who has anxiety and panics is really the way to go so that you can bring that anxiety baseline down. Okay. So that's really valid. I know that one of the clients that I've worked with has definitely had panic so badly that she couldn't sleep. Her adrenals were just going through the roof, I guess. It's really difficult for, I am not a trauma expert. I'm I'm being coached on it right now myself, but it's hard for me to help people who are in that place. But when you're with somebody who can't sleep, especially, or somebody who's constantly feeling like they're going to die, how do you do it? Because that is so stressful, even for you when they come to you. How do you, how do you help people who are really stressed out like that? Yeah, it's funny. I was just coaching someone yesterday on this very thing. Since I'm set up to exclusively work with anxiety, from the moment people walk in through my door, the process is set up so that there's actually an actionable thing you could do at that moment to basically decrease the trigger. But systematically, if someone is having constant thoughts like that, that includes a tool for managing thoughts. There's a tool that allows you to observe the thought, figure out how it's making you feel emotionally and how it's having you behave from that emotion. And that becomes very powerful. It's it. The basis of it is one of the things I studied in that research phase tool called cognitive behavioral therapy. CBT, except I've expanded that tool to kind of allow sensitive people to be able to use it as well. Because thought work could be very tricky because it feels gaslighty to the person. And if if a person, if you're listening and you don't know what gaslighting is, is basically when something denies something you actually experience. For example, someone says to you, what you saw you didn't see what you thought you didn't think, what you experienced you didn't experience, that creates creates a gaslight. And it's it's a form of abuse. Most people don't know it, <laughs> but really it causes a lot of distress. And so people who are sensitive tend to maybe, they, they experience something called sensory processing sensitivity. And this is true for people who identify as HSPs, which are highly sensitive people. Or if they identify as empaths in the more of the spiritual community, they still experience sensory processing sensitivity. It's a trait described in psychology. And uh, t- the tools I create are a little more gentle because if you abruptly say, hey, stop thinking that, stop being anxious, you know what's going to happen to someone? They're going to be more anxious and they're going right. to think about it more. <laughs> right. um, so tools like that where they address directly how to manage intrusive thoughts is the most direct approach, I would say, when you are dealing with thoughts that feel super, super real about your own life, which is very, very scary to manage. Right. You know, one of the things that I have become aware of is uh, the need to work with the subconscious mind. Mm -hmm. Uh, How important is that in the work that you do? And and how do you work with uh, clients to to overcome beliefs that don't serve them? Yeah. If anyone has ever heard of subconscious work, it could feel super daunting (laughs) to think about because you're like, well, how do I know it's subconscious if I can't think about it? Because it's not conscious. (laughs) 
Right. And I, that, that whole thing really troubled me too, because I took a lot of cognitive behavioral psychology stuff, cognitive psych, which means it's conscious stuff. So how do you access something that you don't even know is there, right? To some extent, this is part of the way to kind of really diffuse major triggers for anxiety and panic attacks. However, what I found, and I did this the hard way, everyone listening, (laughs) don't do what I did. (laughs) I went through and I studied many different subconscious tools. There are some that were proposed by psychologist, psychiatrist, Carl Jung. He does something that he coined shadow work. And there are many other um, spiritual teachers or holistic practitioners that teach variations on some meditations. I think even hypnotherapy does things like this where they are able to facilitate a process where you're able to bring up things to the subconscious. Now, I found that to be very taxing and triggering because you're bringing up stuff that like, sometimes I'm like, let's just not touch it. So I said, well, how could I get a client or how could I get someone to only bring up the exact specific things that make sense and kind of diffuse them that way? And I created tools where we could just use the body, emotions or specific thoughts that kind of hone us into specific triggers. And that's all we have to really look at. And we could diffuse it based on the current thoughts you're having. And and that ends up being, when I say diffusing, just for people who aren't aren't sure what that means in the context of shadow work, when you do work in the subconscious, what people are saying is, hey, let's access something that you might not be aware of that's causing you to be triggered. Let's find it and let's do something to that maybe thought or memory or experience to adjust it so that you're not no longer triggered externally, right? Because what really happens is something happens in your day-to-day, maybe someone cuts you off or says something and somehow something you're unaware of gets brought up and you start behaving in a very triggered way, the whole quote unquote shadow work thing you talked about, the subconscious thing, that's just a process to find what that thing is and change it up a bit so that you're no longer triggered in your day to day. And that is very powerful for panic and anxiety. And it's, it ends up giving people such a big relief. And on top of that, what it really does is minimizes the physiological responses that people have to anxiety, which minimize things like pain and oftentimes help people have a better quality of life overall. And and that's great. Now, one of the things that sometimes I've encountered is that people have what you what is called secondary gain. So they have these panic attacks yep. and you'd think they'd want to give them up and they come to you for help, but there's something that actually is preventing them from getting well. In other words, the the pain of the problem is actually more valued by them than getting rid of it. It's kind of weird. But have you encountered that? And if so, how do you deal with people who have secondary gain when it comes to panic? Yeah, I definitely have handled that. And I'm going to give a little story, a scenario when I teach this, um, because this does come up quite a bit. So as you could imagine, imagine a person who as a kid 
was left at home alone a lot. Parents were both work. I think they call them latchkey kids. I think yes. that's what they're called, right? Yes. And then, you know, as an as a teen and in early adulthood, they're just kind of on their own a lot. And then they finally get a big group of friends and they finally experience what it's like to belong and have a great time. Well, let's say they move again and they're alone. And then all of a sudden they're at a mall and they trip and fall right? I often say, well, what's the secondary gain to falling? Well, at that very moment, someone rushes over and helps pick them up and they're like, hey, are you okay? And they help them off the ground, help them sit at a bench. They sit with them. Hey, do you need me to call anyone for you? Do you want me to sit with you? Hey, can you get this gentleman some water? He just fell. And they sit with him. So, if you could go on this mental journey with me, you could imagine that the secondary gain for this individual is connection, right? Right. And so by quote unquote manifesting this scenario, this person is gaining from something that's otherwise often very negative. There is a little bit of positive. The closest thing I could think of is like, what's the silver lining in the situation? Although it's not always exactly silver lining. This gentleman who fell was able to manifest a situation where he's getting connection, even though he fell, <laughs> right? And so if you could think about anxiety or panic episodes that way, where you, if you are brave enough to go to, through that journey and kind of think, hey, how could this be something I'm willing to hold on to. It's pretty revealing. But generally speaking, it's not super obvious. So a facilitation is usually helpful for that. There are many tools to find out what those secondary gains are. But generally speaking, there can be and there are. Being able to like notice them is not always super obvious. Right. And I don't know that the person themselves is aware of what they're doing, but do you find that it's easy to work with people and actually help them overcome their panic and their anxiety? Or how does that go? I'm very curious with what you've encountered. Yeah. So what I call it is panic attacks go into remission. And so here's how I think of it. When someone has anxiety or a panic attack, like a physiological response specifically, kind of like the ones I listed earlier, when the body is actually doing a thing <laughs> and there's an actual response to it, to your anxiety, that becomes the symptom, okay? And so to say you're going to eradicate panic attacks or anxiety is an odd thing because, of course... It's a reaction to something else. So we got to go find the something else. And once you do that, then of course the symptom can go away. It's kind of like if you run down the street really, really, really fast and it's about two blocks, you're running and then your best friend is at the corner waiting for you. And then you say, oh my God, when you reach your friend oh my God, my heart is racing. I need to get rid of my heart racingness. <laughs> and your friend says, well, the heart racing isn't the problem. You ran over here. So how about we don't run? <laughs> That's the reason your heart is racing. We can't condemn your heart for doing what it's supposed to do. We should go find out the reason why your heart was racing in the first place. So in your case, let's just not run 
two blocks <laughs> so that your heart isn't raising. And that's a little simple story I teach often about panic attacks themselves. They become the symptom. So we got to go find out why you're having that symptom anyways, because the reality of it is anxiety is just an emotion every human experiences, right? It's just on the broad spectrum of emotions people experience. When the anxiety is so high, it causes you to have now a physiological response, which is the panic attack. So the issue ends up not being the panic attack. The issue ends up being everything that causes the anxiety to get to that point where you have one. And so when we're addressing that from the get-go, from like week one, people are having physiologically soothing things happen to their nervous system. And then their minds and the root causes are starting to address pretty instantly that around four weeks, those physiological symptoms have just like diminished to almost none. I've had people who are on medications for a long time or people who have panicked for decades or more. And within four weeks, they're they're not having active panic attacks anymore. And certainly by eight weeks, people are understanding exactly what to do as soon as they start sensing when it's coming on. So you can basically get ahead of a panic even before it starts. And that's really the key. It's we do got to address your body because it feels super uncomfortable to be having physiological symptoms like physical symptoms. And we have to come up with strategies to find out what's causing them, right? Right. And those are specific to you, especially if you're a sensitive person, like I said. Oddly enough, in my work, I found that many people are sensitive to many different things. And you don't even have to identify as an HSP or an empath to be sensitive to some things in your environment. We got to find those environmental triggers as well. Yeah, exactly. What I find is people get great... When a system is directed at anxiety and panic, they will only be focusing on that. And then, of course, you could address the root causes more effectively. Yeah, exactly. And getting to that, we've discussed a little bit, you and I, just talking about how you handle sensations, thoughts, and emotions. Mm -hmm. What would you like people to know about that in, in when they work with you? Sensations, emotions, and thoughts, I call those the... The, the building blocks to understanding your awareness. I don't know about anyone who's listening, but I know that when I started to go into the world of meditation or calming techniques, it all felt super, dare I say, woo-woo. At the time, that's how I thought it. Right. And I don't think that anymore because I wear crystals around my neck. <laughs> but... <laughs> Um, at the time, at, coming from a very science-based background, I couldn't understand when someone said, be aware of your thoughts or be aware of your body. Because to me, I was. To me, I'm like, hey, I'm walking around every day. I feel my clothes on my shirt, on my back. And I am clearly aware of my thoughts because I'm thinking them. Right. right, And so it, it was a very interesting thing when people say you need to become aware of your, your body. So I started to think in a very reductionist kind of way, meaning I like to not make things sound academic and hard when I teach them. I said, well, what, what are the things people are saying I have to feel? And I worked backwards. They're like, feel your body. I was like, okay, well, I touched my arm and I was like, oh, 
Well, if I touch my arm, my my arm feels a sensation, so does my fingertips. So that's a physical activity on my body. And then now I'm thinking about it because now I'm describing it. So those sentences flowing through my brain, simply put, are the thoughts. It's just a sentence in my brain. So sensation is a physical thing. A sentence is a thought. And then the emotion is anything that's generated as a feeling from any thoughts I'm having. And when I started to break things down, I was able to like have the language and the machinery to put these long-term things into effect that did affect my anxiety to be maintained at a low level or at a neutral level. They're basically terms and language that we're just not taught. Um, And they are the fundamentals of the things people are trying to get at when they say, hey, go meditate and relax. Unless you know those things intimately and have a working knowledge of them, it becomes very difficult to do these breathing exercises and meditations that we YouTube when we're anxious. (laughs) A lot of people are like, hey, I've tried that breathing exercise. It didn't work. I didn't realize why it wasn't working for me at the time was there was a lot I was missing. There are people who dedicate their entire lives to practices where they're meditating or doing breathing exercises. They remove themselves from society and exclusively do that like a Buddhist monk would. The Indian tradition has a term called renunciates. So they renounce their daily world and possessions and they dedicate their entire lives to their practice the issue with me and people listening to this podcast presumably or others uh, like my clients we are not renunciates we have things to do we have like lives to participate in and to have basic fundamentals that shortcut all of that so that you can develop awareness you need to implement anxiety reducing tools is what I was seeking. And I did create that. And those are the three, those three words, I'm glad you brought them up, are the building blocks to that. So it's sensation, emotions, and thoughts to awareness. Oh, that's excellent. Well, it all sounds good. And I know that you're probably very busy because certainly a lot of people in these times experience anxiety. But, you know, in general, a lot of people with chronic disease and terminal disease definitely experience anxiety and panic. And of course, then the the people who are getting well from those diseases, fear is the problem and fear is tied with anxiety and panic. So I know that there are a lot of people who might like to talk to you. If they're interested in reaching out to you, maybe reading your book, how can they best do that? Yeah, I'll make it super simple because anxiety causes something called anxiety fog of all things, right? (laughs) So I like to make it very simple. If people just go to grab a copy of my free book, panicfreedombook.com, they'll get a copy of Stop Pressing Your Own Panic Button. So that's panicfreedombook.com. And it'll kick back some information for you as well on how to reach out to me further. So I took care of everything. You could just go to to that link. And you'll get a free, my free book so you could hear more about what I just talked about and be able to reach out to me there. And thank you so much for letting people know about that. Your book is wonderful. And I've so enjoyed talking with you, Ramses. Uh, thank you so much for sharing your journey and uh, your expertise. And I hope that people take you up on that because it will only benefit them. Thank you.
And thank you for having me on here. I'm so excited and honored to be talking to you. I love your journey as well and your bravery. And this is just an amazing resource and value to so many people. So thank you for doing this and sharing it with the world. My pleasure. Thanks, Ramsey. See you soon. Thank you for listening to Put Cancer Behind You with Maria Barnes. So you won't miss a single episode. We hope you'll follow our program on Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite pod platforms. And be sure to visit us at mariabarnes.net, on Facebook at Put Cancer Behind You, on Twitter at PCBY01, or on Instagram at mariabarnespcby. Also, you can help us grow our audience by leaving a thoughtful review. Remember, if you or someone you know is in need of cancer coaching, Maria is here to help. We'll see you next time. Copyright 2022, Maria Barnes, LLC, all rights reserved.